Good morning, everyone. What a beautiful day it's been thus far. It's been a beautiful weekend. I know we've had a little rain, a lot of sunshine, some pretty warmth, and with it being a holiday weekend, we still got great things to come. But there's nothing better we could do than be right here today as we worship our Savior. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, and many of us have had members of our family that have served in the military and lost their lives, and we want to be sure to honor them, and we want to honor all those that are still serving today. But you know, there's another Memorial Day, and that's today, the first day of the week. We get to honor the one person that came and died so we could truly have remission of our sins. So we want to be sure to do that, and we're so thankful that we have that every first day of the week. This morning, I want to talk about something called a legacy, a little dash in time. You know, what is a legacy compared to a legend? You know, our society today, they talk about leaving a, leg a legacy, but in reality, we live in a legend-driven world. People want to establish a, leg a legacy in their life, but really what they're doing is they're trying to build a legend. What is a legend? A legend is something that you do and what you're known for. Your accomplishments in life, wealth, fame, stardom, discoveries, like Milton Hershey, Hershey Chocolates. Theodore Giesel, many of you may not know that name. It's otherwise known as Dr. Seuss. Albert Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, Walt Disney, Judy Garland, John Wayne, all of these people were legends. They were known for something very specific that they did. And those legends, when they left this world, they left this world as a rock star. They left a big hole from their absence. They were outstanding in what they did. Their spouses missed them. Their children missed them. Their friends did. Their community did. Even many times the whole world missed them. Because when they left, they left a big hole. But they were easily to be talked about how great they were because of the things that they did. People knew the things they did. And with them being gone, things just didn't seem to be the same as they used to be. And why is that? Because the greatest thing about that person was themselves. And when they died, that person died with them. So they were a legend. But let's talk about establishing a legacy. You establish a legacy by who you are. It's how you invest your life and not how you spend it. It's more about others and less about yourself. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, every man's life ends the exact same way. It's only the details of how he lived and how he died that distinguish one man from another. Thus, that little dash in time. Now I want you to think just a minute. Take a grain of sand, just one grain of sand. That is your lifespan. It could be just a few short years. It could be 20, 50 years, 70, 90. Even some people live to be 100 years old. But that little grain of sand is your representation of your life. Now drop it on the beaches of the ocean. 
That beach is, is the eternity. So you see how small and how minute your little bit of life is on this earth? It's such a small time, just a small dash in time. You know, everyone leaves a legacy. And they do it whether they plan to or not. Everything we say, everything we do, it makes an imprint on the lives of the people around us. You know, as long as there's a breath in your body, there's opportunity to leave a legacy. Daniel Taylor wrote, your legacy is the fragrance of your life that remains when you yourself is not present. We've all smelt a fragrance sometime that reminded us something special. Maybe it was the smell of a cologne or a perfume that reminds you of your grandparents, and it brought back pleasant memories of the things they did. But you know, you can also have a fragrance that brings back bad memories. So your legacy is that fragrance that people remember. So what is gonna be your legacy? A lot of people go to cemeteries. They go for different reasons. They go to remember their loved ones, to pay respect to them. A lot of people go for historical things, to try to learn about the past. Other people go just for curiosity, just to see what they can see. People put epitaphs on tombstones, and they put it on there for a purpose. They want to describe that person's life in just a few short words. There was an epitaph that was written on a tombstone that was very thought-provoking. And it goes like this. Remember, friend, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. Now that's very, very thought-provoking. Have you prepared for death? Are you ready to follow them? Well, one of the observers that came by read this, and it really intrigued them, and they thought about it. They wrote a little note and put it beside the tombstone. That note said, I would not care to follow along if I only knew where you had gone. So when you're building a legacy, are you building one that's going to be carried on for future generations, or will it pass away with you? And when you build that legacy, are you building one that will take you to the gates of heaven or to the depths of hell? What will your fragrance be that will be remembered? So how do we build a legacy? The most important legacy, that spiritual legacy that can be passed on for generations. The first thing is we have to make a decision to live for God. Joshua 24, 15, and Joshua wrote, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a decision who he was going to serve, who he was going to live for. You know, Proverbs 13, 22, it tells us, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. He wasn't talking about material aspects to be left for future generations. He was talking about the influence, that spiritual legacy that would be carried on. A good man leaves an inheritance by his character. 
by his instructions, his example, the care and protection he provides to his family, and for the kindness that he shows. Also in building that legacy, you need to set spiritual goals. Write them down. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. If someone reads your goals, would they know what your direction is? Would they know what you're striving to do? Could they take your goals and set them in place in their life? Could they practice what you wanted to do and accomplish what you were trying to accomplish? You know, I read a thing one time that a man had written in his goals, his spiritual goals. He said, my goal in life is to be sure that all of my children are faithful to God. And in his later years, someone asked him that had seen this said, did you accomplish your goals? All of my children are faithful. I'm ready to go to heaven right now whenever God is ready for me. He had accomplished the things that he had set forth. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. You know, our spiritual goals must never go against what God has set out for us to do and what he asked of us. And basically, God has only asked us to do two things, to love him and love our neighbor. And if we do these two things, everything else will fall into place. And part of building that legacy, we must be willing to serve. Matthew 20, 27 through 28, and whoever desires to be first among you let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, when Christ came to this world, he didn't come as a king expecting the world to bow down to him and serve him. He came as a servant, a servant of his Father in heaven, to fulfill the commandments and the scriptures that God had put in place. So you know, when you're asked to do something, when you're asked to help, don't find excuses and reasons not to, but find ways that you can help to do things, that you can be remembered as someone that was willing to serve. And part of being willing to serve is taking an initiative. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. But you notice one thing Matthew said in this? Everything that was the reward that you was going to receive required action on your part. You had to take the initiative to start with. You had to ask. You had to seek. And you had to knock. It was up to you to take that initial initiative if you wanted that reward. And James 4, 17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. 
If you see a need, act. Take that initiative to do it. You know, that little action that you do will lead to a much greater reward later on. And also, as we build that spiritual legacy, we have to have a great attitude. You know, today you hear many motivational speakers, and they're talking about the greatest thing of success is being defined as getting up one more time than you fall down. But you know, Solomon, by divine inspiration, he was way ahead of the motivational speakers. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. How did Solomon know that if you want to have that great attitude in life, you've got to get up one more time than you fall? So how do you develop that great attitude? Philippians 4, 8 through 9 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So what did he just tell us to do? To meditate on the things that are good. And that's how we help develop that good attitude. You know, when God, he put us on this world, he didn't, he didn't need you or me or any of mankind to make him complete. And he didn't need us because he was lonely. He chose to create us. And he allowed us to live on this world freely and to think freely with our mind, to make our own decisions. This characteristic of God shows how much he truly loved us and how blessed we are. And because of that, we should want our attitude to be one that is positive toward him and is always wanting to please him and love him. Just remember, in life, your life is 10% of what happens to you. But it's 90% of how you respond to it. Attitude is a choice. Job 34.4 said, Let us choose for us that which is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. Attitude is that choice of making, of making that right choice. But part of that attitude is being content. You know, our society today is in a state of discontentment. We're not happy with anything we have. We're not happy with our leaders. We're not happy with our spouse, our children, the things that we have. Our house is too small. Our TV is too old. And even our smartphone doesn't have the latest technology and the gadgets and buttons that it needs. So what are we supposed to do in a world like this that in order to find contentment in a world that's restless, and why can't we seem to find contentment that we're looking for? You know, many of us are trying to fill a void in our lives. And unfortunately, we try to fill that void with things that can't satisfy. You know, we look to fill that void with possessions or money. And oh, yes, oh, that's all great and it makes us feel good for a time. 
but it's only very short-lived. And what happens after that? We want more. We're not happy anymore. Or we try to fill that relation, that discontentment with a relationship that is meaningless. And it's only just a very short time we feel empty and depressed again. You know, the only place we find true contentment and fulfillment is with Christ Jesus. That contentment isn't something that we find in things or people or circumstances. It can only be discovered through our convictions, the convictions that we have with Christ. You know, the Bible teaches us to allow our convictions, not our circumstances, to govern our sense of what our our contentment is. True biblical contentment is a conviction in Christ's power. His purpose, his provision is sufficient for us. For every circumstance that we have, we learn how to walk through this world in all kinds of adversity, believing in and experiencing Christ's sufficiency. We have to choose to rest on God's promise despite what may be going on in our life. You know, it's been said that Americans worry more today than anyone in the world. And it's because, and it's been proven, it's a proven fact that Americans feel like they have to be in 100% control of everything in their life at every moment. So therefore, they worry about everything. You know, God has told us, put our worries on him. Put our problems on him. Ask him for that help, and you'll be surprised how that worry will go away. When we put him in charge, we put him in control of what's happening in our lives. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And finally, we have to choose life. In Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, it says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, and you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. You know, Moses spoke this shortly before his death. He was directing the children of Israel. And what he was directing applies to us today. Simply stating what Moses was doing, it says, you choose to accept God and his laws. That's all you need to do. Accept what he has given us. Choose the life that God has put before us. So why do we follow laws today? You know, there's two basic reasons, and both of them are very self-centered. We follow the laws today because 
we're afraid we'll get a ticket or be fined for something or have to go to jail for it. And also, we follow those laws because we're afraid of what somebody might think about us. We got caught, and they're going to think bad of us. Both of those things are very self-centered. But why should we choose to follow the laws? We should follow those laws because it's the right thing to do. It's what God commanded us to do, to follow the laws of the land. But why should we follow God's laws? Do we fear hell? The punishment is out there. And it's, it's great to fear hell. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the reason we're following God's laws, we've totally missed the blessings of Christ, that he came to this world, he walked among men, and he died on that cross so that we could be saved. We're missing the true love of God. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And finally, Luke 10, 27, So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So when we develop this legacy, this spiritual legacy, part of it is choosing life. It's choosing the life that God put before us. That's what we need to strive to do. Putting all of those things together develops that spiritual legacy that can be passed on to generations to generations. And just think the good that that legacy will do. Many times the things you do, you never know how it will lead someone to Christ. What about your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren that's following the legacy you did? You will never know what importance that that may do in the world of basically saving another soul. Have you ever thought about the legacy that Paul left? As he was getting close to the end of his life, he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. Paul made three simple statements about his legacy. He had fought the good fight. He stood firm as a spiritual warrior, cloaked in the whole armor of God, defending the truth of the gospel. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. He remained faithful until the end making sure that he didn't lose his faith or become disheartened in the marathon of life. He finished the race. And finally, he said, he kept the faith. He remained true and committed and loyal to the Savior 
who had delivered him from the bondage of sin and darkness. Regardless of all the persecutions and the pitfalls that he had to endure, and regardless of what his past sinful life was, Paul's confidence about his death and the legacy of faith was based upon his relationship with the Lord. Can we say the same thing today about the legacy that we're building? You know, there's nothing wrong with leaving a material inheritance for your children. You know, God expects a man to work. He expects you to provide for your family. He even commands it. But this should not be the only thing that our life is centered upon. Developing that legacy of faith and devotion to God can be passed on for many generations to come. It's passed on to our children by how we show that desire to follow Jesus. Studying God's word and sharing it. Learn to listen to God. You know, we ask God in our prayers for guidance and strength and deliverance and to help for those problems. We need to learn to sit and listen for the answers also. We need to practice obedience to God's word every single day in our life. We need to have a forgiving heart, have a willingness to serve, and have that true and genuine love that God had for us. You know, children learn by teaching, but they also learn a lot more by the examples that we show. Be that Christian example that will be embedded to those children. Don't tell them how to live, but let them see how to live in your daily lives. If you had the opportunity right now to write your epitaph on your tombstone that wanted to depict your life, what would you say? What would you put out there in just a few short words that people would know of the legacy that, le that you left. I saw one that summed things up more than anything else I've ever seen. Very simple, it says, he loved Jesus and it showed. What a greater reward or legacy that we could leave. You know, the, the greatest reward that we could ever receive in building a lasting spiritual legacy, it's found in Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you and the foundation of the world. If we develop that spiritual legacy that we pass on to our children and that we stand before God on those final days and he says, Come into my house, what a legacy that we have developed, but more importantly, what a blessing of an inheritance that we will receive. You know, today's the first day of the rest of your life. And you can start that change today. Look at Paul. No matter what your life had been, what you had done, you can start new. Look at the dramatic change in the legacy that Saul was leaving. Saul was known throughout the entire region as being someone that was set out to destroy Christianity. He was going to completely annihilate it from the world. That was his intent. He was out to prove that Jesus Christ was a fraud, 
There was nothing to him. And on his way to Damascus, he was going to persecute and imprison more, children, uh, more Christians. He had orders from the government that he could do that. And on his way, Saul was struck blind. And the one person that he said was a fraud spoke to him from heaven. Jesus spoke to him directly from heaven. The one person he said was not true. And Paul was led on to Damascus. He had to be led by the people because of his blindness. And he had to meet with the Christians that he was there to persecute. And they were the ones that were going to tell him what he needed to do to be saved. Paul received his sight. He was baptized for the remission of his sins, and he immediately began to teach in the synagogues that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Now look at the dramatic change in Paul's life. From someone that was creating a legacy to destroy Christianity to someone who set the rest of his life to preach Christ and to show the world that he was the true Savior of us. You know, there's no better time than today to begin to build your legacy that will endure for generations to come. And when we put Christ first in our lives, we're building that lasting legacy. Colossians 3.17 tells us we're told, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, if you've never put God first in your life, there's no better time right now. You want that legacy, that spiritual legacy, that can be passed on for generations to generations. But that spiritual legacy will not happen unless you put God first. And to do that, your first step is you must be baptized in the water for the remission of your sins. And as you go into that water and as you come back, you let the blood of Christ, Christ who went to that cross and died for us so that we could have remission, that blood would cleanse our sins and make us pure and white as snow. And you know, if you took that step, but you went back into the world of sin, you're still building a legacy, but has your legacy changed for a sinful world? It's okay to change it. It can be changed today. Today is that first day of your life. Come back to God. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you to change that legacy. All of us need to start building a legacy and start today. And we want that legacy to be one that will be remembered from generations to come, not who we were, but what we did. And we instill that legacy into our families that carried on, that they became faithful members of God. And wouldn't it be great to you stand before God and, you sit, and God ask you, what was your spiritual goals? that I could raise my children to be faithful, and they were. And God, and so was I, faithful to you to the end. If any of you have any need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?